You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, let me invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. Last week, uh, we began a series in 1 Corinthians entitled, A House Divided. A House Divided. And I would say to you this morning that there is a gospel demand for unity within the local church. Jesus said in Matthew, or rather in Mark chapter 3 and verse 25, if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. So Southwide Baptist Church is going to be a kingdom force into Funiac Springs and to the ends of the earth. We must stand as a united force. Sadly, not necessarily just about our church, but in general, sadly, the church is often more defined by what divides us than what unites us. We talked a little bit about that last week, and as I shared with you, the License plates that are on the front of vehicles that say a house divided that talk about college football or various other sports that these schools play, which college football is the main one, right? We all know that. Um, But a house divided where the spouse on one side of the car is rooting for one team and spouse on the other side of the car is rooting for another team. And I said to you that sadly, many churches need a sign bolted on the front door that says a house divided. Because we are defined by our division rather on those things that we are united by. Now there are plenty of things that are worthy of dividing over. Okay? The gospel is worthy over worthy of dividing over. Things like the divinity of Jesus, the triune nature of God, the justification by faith alone. These things are worth dividing over. But most of the things that divide us are not matters of primary importance in the Christian faith. Most of the things that divide us are those secondary things, and especially those things that are trivial, that are matters of opinion or preference. And so what Paul aims at doing is is going to the root of those trivial things, especially when you consider them in light of what matters infinitely more. And Paul aims at that here in the introduction, at least to lay some groundwork or to put some framework into the way that we understand what it means to be united. So in the first half of the introduction, Paul frames what, has, what he has to say about the unity of the local church surrounding the universal church, to see ourselves in light of not just our local church, Southwide, 
but the, the universal church and all that God is doing. And we're to see ourselves as a part of a bigger plan of God, that it's not all about us. That's the first half of the introduction. The second half of the introduction, Paul has something to remind us of about the reasons for this greater universal church, the reasons that we are a part of it, and in so doing, to stir in us a sense of gratitude, a real sense of gratitude over what God has done, in order that that sense of gratitude would overcome any disunity that may exist among us. And so toward that end, let me invite you to stand with me if you found your place there in 1 Corinthians in honor of the reading of God's word as we look to verse 4 and following. <clears throat> Paul says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you are enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift. As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So pray with me. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for what you have done in our lives. We are here this morning Together, because individually you have called us out of the darkness into the light. You have called us by name. We are yours. You have purchased us with the very blood of your son. And this morning we are grateful that you have translated us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And that we have an eternity waiting for us with you. Lord, I thank you for forgiving our sin and for restoring our soul. And I pray that you would remind us this morning of what it means to be thankful for what you've done in our lives. Not just my life, but our lives. Remind us of how you have grafted us together and called us to be one in you. Lord, if there is one here this morning who is separated from us, by their lack of faith in Jesus, I pray that you would call them today to saving faith, that they would believe upon Christ and be saved and be united to you, Jesus, and with this body. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. <clears throat> well, if you are reading through the New Testament, one of the helpful things to do is to read through the book of Acts as you kind of read through Paul's letters especially. Because you get kind of a historical context of what is happening as you are reading this specific letter. Acts 18 is the story of Paul's time at the city of Corinth. And there eventually at the church of Corinth as he spent about 18 months of ministry there serving the people and leading people to Jesus. Corinth, as we talked about last week, was new, but it was an important commercial center. And it was buzzing with about 400,000 people in that day, much like the size of Atlanta in 
our day. And like Atlanta, it was a melting pot of various cultures and religions. And any city like this one, any large city that has all these different kinds of people and all these different kinds of religions and cultures is destined to be a city of diversity and a city of diverse sin. All throughout Corinth, especially sexual sin, it was prominent. And so this place of sinfulness, God began to do a work in. And Paul comes to the city and in Acts 18, Paul lands there. And after spending quite a bit of time in Athens, in the the central part of Greece, he comes to this city of Corinth. And eventually he finds a Jewish couple there by the name of Aquila and Priscilla. And they had recently left Rome, been run out of Rome by an anti-Semitic emperor there, Claudius. He commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. They weren't run out because of their faith, but it's likely that Paul had heard of their faith and he comes to visit them. They shared the same trade, by the way. They were both tent makers. And the three of them began to do life together and share the gospel with those around them. And it was no small effort. Acts 18 says that Paul was occupied with the word almost in a daily fashion, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was, in fact, the Christ, that he was he was reasoning and trying to persuade them that that Jesus was the way of salvation He even received some resistance in the day. And God told Paul, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And listen to what God tells Paul. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. The Spirit of God was moving mightily in Corinth. And we're even told that specific leaders, leaders like Tidious Justice and Crispus and Sosthenes, that they came to faith in Jesus. Acts tells us that many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. So Paul has spent some time with these people, sharing Jesus and seeing them come to know him and grow in their faith. And now he's writing back to the same people And he has something to say to them. And he says these words with that context in mind. He says in verse four, I give thanks to my God always for you. After spending this time with them and seeing them come to know Jesus and grow in their faith, he says, man, I thank God for you. I thank God for what he's done in your life. The idea is not just thanking God once. It's not that I prayed yesterday and I thanked God for you. It's this continual, in the present, ongoing thankfulness in the heart of Paul for the people at Corinth. He loved them and he was continually thanking God for these believers. Now, Paul often expresses gratitude in his letters. If you're reading through Paul's letters, you'll see it. Romans chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1, 1 Thessalonians, Philemon, Colossians, 2 Thessalonians. Almost in every letter Paul writes, he expresses thankfulness for the people there. 
In addition, in most of those places, Paul says, I thank God for you and I'm praying for you. There's an intercession that happens for those people. But this is part of the form that Paul often uses in his letters. This one he doesn't express prayerfulness in. He only says he's thankful. And the question is, why would he start in this way? Almost in every one of those cases, there's a reason for his thanksgiving that he's not just saying, hey, I'm thankful for you and moving on. He's saying some specific things that apply to the message that he's about to deliver to that church. Question is, what is he doing here with his thankfulness? Well, one, Paul is just genuinely thankful for them. He's thankful when when he considered the sinfulness of the city, I mean, think about this. He comes to a city where n- no one loves Jesus practically. There's a few there. When he considers what God has done in their life and he says, I know your story and I know your story and what God has done here and what God has done there. He's just he's just so overwhelmed that God has done this amazing work. He is just genuinely thankful when you look around and You consider one another, the body of Christ, and how God has just done a work in our lives. When you consider here at Southwide, think about the stories of the people around you. I've sat in many of your living rooms and heard the struggles and the stories of what God has done in your life. Amazing things. I just rejoice over that. Do you often spend time in that place going... I'm just thankful for what God is doing in the lives of the people in our church. So that would be one thing. A second thing might be that Paul is about to say some really hard things to the church. His positivity here doesn't mean that he has to erase everything he's about to say. There's some very real need for correction. And that correction is going to be hard. And he says, I want you to know. That I love you and this is the reason that this is coming. Because I'm thankful for you. He has a need to correct them. There's a third potential reason here though. And I think that this is so helpful as we think about what's being said. He's again building a framework. Think about this. See yourselves in light of the universal church. With what I'm about to say. But not only that, let me lay this backdrop, if you will. Hang this backdrop of all that God has done in your life. What he's about to say to this church could be offensive to a people who are just infighting all over the place. And he says something that's incredibly disarming. This picture of conflict in the church where everyone is fired up about everything. It seems like there's fires everywhere. No one's getting along. And Paul, in this very fatherly sense, says, just slow down and listen to what God has done. And he reminds them. It's a disarming statement. When you put those three things together, Paul is doing more than just expressing his gratitude, although it is that. He's actually teaching gratitude. There's an expectation that they would not only hear his expression, but that they would join with him in his thankfulness 
toward one another. But there's something else critical to see here. And that is that Paul's gratitude is not just directed at the church at Corinth. He's thankful for them, but it's also important to see who he's thankful to. What he's thankful for, who he's thankful to. Notice it. I give thanks to my God. Always. And then everything that he's thankful for in them, you'll see it is all because of God. The grace that was given to them by God in Jesus. They're being enriched in God, by God, in all speech and all knowledge. The testimony about Christ being confirmed. Who's confirming it? They're not. God is confirming it among them. They're lacking in, not, they're not lacking rather in any spiritual gift. It's because God has given it to them. They're being sustained all the way to the end. God's doing that. God is the one who is faithful. God is the one who has called them to salvation. Paul is talking about all the things that God has done among them. And that causes him to be thankful to God for them. It's a Godward gratitude. To the divided church. To the people who are fighting with one another. Paul says, lift your eyes and see what God has done. And turn your gaze toward him. Here's what I think Paul wants us to get. Just in what he is modeling and teaching for the church at Corinth and ultimately for us. Listen to this closely. You might take note. When we honestly consider all the reasons we have to be grateful to God, we suddenly see that we have very little to fight about. Isn't that true? When we honestly consider all the reasons we have to be grateful to God, we suddenly realize we have very little to fight about. Part of that is considering specific things. The content of what we should be thankful for in God. We need to think about those things. But the other part of it is simply considering. And this is where I think we have the hardest time. This is where division begins to creep in. Because there's no shortage of things to be thankful for, right? We could all make a list of 10,000 reasons why we should be thankful. The problem is we don't slow down long enough and pause long enough to actually consider them so that gratitude rises up from those very Things. Time spent there. Disciplining our minds to stop thinking about all of the problems and all of the things that we see wrong and begin to think about some of the things that we see right. Intentionally thinking of more things than correction. Looking for ways to encourage Genuinely considering all that God has done and saying these are good things and we should be thankful for them. This is what the church was not doing when they were talking to one another. They were thinking only of things that someone had done to offend them. Only of their disagreements. 
They were thinking only of their particular opinion on a matter. Only what divided them. Their mind and their hearts were fixed on the wrong rather than on what they could praise. And in that pattern, their eyes were set on each other more than they were set on God. Church, can I tell you that any time we get our eyes more on each other than on God, we will tend only to see the bad and not the good. But when we have our eyes on God, we will tend to see even the smallest good in the midst of all of the bad. This is the call of the local church. To be quick to overlook an offense and to see past a wrong and to forgive and to bear one another's burdens. When we have our eyes fixed on God, when we have our eyes fixed on God, we will tend to see the smallest good even in the midst of all of the bad. Now, even as you think about that statement, you think of what Paul is doing here, there's a couple of notes of caution. One would be this. What Paul is doing here is not pie-in-the-sky positivity. This is not a social prosperity gospel. This is not a motivational talk. Because Paul's about to get to the hard stuff. Paul is not just killing this people with kindness or giving himself or them a hug, and depending on the power of positivity, he's really genuinely feeling these things. And there's a difference, hear me, between shallow, superficial tickling of the ears and real, heartfelt gratitude to God for one another. There's a difference. And we're not called to be fake and shallow and just put on kind of this mask. We're called toward real gratitude. So we've got to be careful. Two, the other note of caution. Paul is not just ignoring or glossing over the fact that there are real problems at the church at Corinth. He's about to deal with those. And I would say to you this morning that the church must have a culture of accountability. There are accountability for actions, not because we somehow want to condemn one another and not because they're things that we should be fighting over, but because there is a desire among us for us to live holy and righteous lives and to restore those who are broken and to restore those who have fallen into sin. That desire is in Paul. When we honestly consider all the many reasons That we have to be grateful. Those things become few. And we have far more to praise the Lord over. And suddenly, suddenly our fighting begins to fade. So what are some of those things? What are some of the things that you ought to think about or be grateful for as you consider one another? We could give 10,000 this morning. Right? There's lots of them. But Paul gives four. He gives four. And these are not enough. We have a whole Bible full of things. But these things are a great starting place. Why, why we should be thankful for one another to God. Here's the first one. The grace of God given to them. Thinking about others now. 
The grace of God given to them in the gospel. It's the first thing Paul expresses. as He thinks about the church at Corinth. I give thanks to my God always for you because. He's now going to list the reasons. Because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Now, remember where Paul is. Corinth, you could say, Paul's in Atlanta, Georgia. Paul's in New Orleans, Louisiana. Paul is in Chicago. Paul is in New York. This metroplex of sin. Not that it doesn't exist here. But just to paint the, the picture for you. He's in this place where everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. Where the culture says love, pleasure, and get all you can. And they're in, he's in the midst of this town And he happens to find, by the sovereign plan of God, by his grace, he happens to find two believers. Well, that's amazing just to start with. And then he begins to do life with these believers and he hangs out with people who don't love Jesus. I mean, some of the people in the church at Corinth spent more time in the temple of Aphrodite than they did anywhere in any other place. Right? These are people who are deep into sin. And now, somehow, like an unexplainable story of people who were lost and broken and far from God have now come to the place where they've turned from their sin and they've given their heart and soul to Jesus Christ and He's taken over their life and they're serving the Lord in ministry? Like that makes no sense, Right? That's the kind of change that we have a hard time explaining in our world. But this is the kind of change that Jesus makes in someone's life. They are living in a city of brokenness. They live broken lives. They are in a place of eternal condemnation. And God moves them to a place of eternal life because of the blood of Jesus Christ shed for their sins, their repentance and faith put in Him, they're forgiven, and now they have eternal life. And not only that, God is restoring their lives from the brokenness. And not only that, but He's saving person after person after person so that the mark of Christ is on the city of Corinth. That's amazing. The grace of God given them in the Gospel Where they are now, considering where they used to be. That's good news. Some of you here this morning find yourselves in the same place. Where you were, and now where you are. Because Christ has changed your life. Because Jesus has made all the difference in your life. And this room is full of testimonies of God's saving grace. But it's not just good news for me. And that's what we don't always get. God's grace was enough for me, but it wasn't just enough for me. It was enough for you. And it was enough for us. And it's enough for anybody who calls upon the name of the Lord. This place, this people, 
is not full of individuals, but we together are one body and we represent a testimony of God's grace. And the same grace that was given to me by a gracious God was also given to the brother or the sister that is sitting next to you. And man, I want to be at a place as a church where I rejoice in what God has done in your life. Like, let's tell that story. Let's tell the amazing miracle stories of conversion in our life so that we together rejoice over one another. Paul said, were it not for the grace of God, so go I. And you and I are in the same position. We need the grace of God and the saving grace that unites us. The grace of God given to us in the gospel. The second thing Paul is grateful for. He's grateful for the gifting of God for Christian ministry and service. The gift of God, the gifting of God for Christian ministry and service. Look with me at verse 5. Paul says that in every way you were enriched, blessed, equipped. You were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. It's one of the things that we're going to see later in the book of Corinth, uh, the, the first letter of the Corinthian church, that that. They were fighting over who was the better teacher, essentially, who had more knowledge. There's a lot of pride in the church or what gift was most important. We're going to come back to that. But notice there's some things we'll see in verse six here in a minute. But notice verse seven. So that you are not lacking in any gift. That's a big statement. So all these spiritual gifts that we see in Scripture, right? Paul says specifically here, speech and knowledge. Later he says, desire that you might prophesy. That's the greatest one, right? But Paul says to the church at Corinth, we could come up with the whole list. You're not lacking in any of them. God has so graciously gifted you for Christian ministry and service that in every way, That in every way you are enriched. You're not lacking in any gift. But they were getting puffed up and prideful. Not seeing these things as gifts that work with one another, but rather against one another. They were parading their own giftedness. And I tell you this morning... No matter how important you are to our church, and you are so important, do not mishear me, please. But you are not God's gift to Southwide Baptist Church. And I am not God's gift to Southwide Baptist Church. But God has gifted Southwide Baptist Church for His glory and not ours. And He has done so liberally. Man, there is so much giftedness here at our church and God has given it to us that we might use it he has gifted us for ministry and for service that the things that he's given us we might use in spectacular ways for his glory fully dependent upon his grace but that we might do that together 
When you see later on, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, when you see the diversity in the church of all the different gifts and you realize that there's a hand and a foot and an eye and everything else and there's a few less desirable parts of our, of our body, right? We, we know that. We see that in 1 Corinthians 12. We don't always get along with one another. We don't always see the purpose of each other's gifts. But at the end of the day, God has put them together and he's done so sovereignly for his glory. And he's designed that every part do its share. What a treasure it is to be a part of a local church. More on that as we walk through, you'll see. Paul has a third thing he's thankful for here. That is the gospel of God confirmed. The gospel of God confirmed in them by personal testimony. It's confirmed by personal testimony. Look at verse 6. Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. How many of you believe this morning that the gospel is true? Show of hands. That it is the power of God and the salvation for everyone who believes. You believe that this morning? That from cover to cover, the Bible is God's Word, inspired, true, authoritative in all that it says. Do you believe that this morning? That is true, but God has seen fit to confirm its truth by bringing it to life within the body. Colossians 3, let the, Colossians 1, let the word of Christ dwell among you richly. The word living in us. That's the picture. So that you might hear the truth of God's word proclaimed and you might see it come to life among God's people. That's the picture of the church. The testimony, the truth about something, that's what he's describing. The truth namely about Christ. That truth of the gospel being confirmed among you, namely the church. Speech, conduct, the things that we say, the way that we live, it's confirmed in us. And that's confirmed individually, right? If you're a Christian in this room this morning, you ought to do everything in your power. Trusting in God's grace to live a life worthy of the gospel. Amen? You ought to live a life that reflects the gospel that you believe. So that when the world sees the gospel, they don't look at your life and say, that's false. They don't look at your life and go, wow, that's the grace of God at work. It ought to be an individual testimony. We often think of someone's testimony as their story. Tell your story of conversion. Tell your story of what God has done in your life. Life, But we should rather think about a person's testimony as God's story confirmed in us. What is God doing in your life? A life confirming the truth of salvation is what should be true for you. A life confirming the beauty of sanctification and how God is shaping you and molding you in holiness. A life that has hope in glorification. That there's coming a day when 
you'll be with Jesus forever. Knowing that hope, that confirms the story. And it ought to stir in us a deep gratitude to hear someone else's story. Ask and tell the story of Jesus in each other's lives. It's really hard to be grateful for what Jesus has done in someone else's life through their salvation and through what God continues to do in their life if you don't know the story. It's hard, isn't it? Like, tell me about how God saved you because I want to rejoice in that. Like, we can fight over carpet color, and we can fight over what programs we do as a church, and we can fight over you stole my parking space and everything else, but what we can't fight over is me sitting down with you and saying, tell me what Jesus did in your life. This is either going to lead to one of two conversations. Conversation number one, praise God that He saved you and that He's doing a work in your life. Or conversation number two, can I tell you how Jesus can save your soul? Friend, the number one question we can ask a person is, what has Jesus done in their life? We ought to be confirming of the gospel and personal testimony. Paul's grateful for that. He knows the stories. There's a fourth thing that he's grateful for as well. And that is the faithfulness of God to sustain them all the way to the end. He says in verse 7, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end. And not just get you there by the skin of your teeth. Watch this. Guiltless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. God is the one who will sustain you. He is the one who called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus our Lord. He did that, and not only that, He is going to finish it. That is such good news. The reason that I make it every day is not because I made it through the day somehow, but because God is keeping me. The reason I don't make shipwreck of my faith is because God is keeping me. The reason I'm not the same person that I once was and my life has been changed is because God is keeping me. He has his hand on me and Jesus said no one can snatch me out of his hand. That's true for you, believer, and it's true for me, believer, but it's also true for us. Did you know that Southwide Baptist Church is not being sustained by a budget and is not being sustained by the right number of people or the right leaders, but Southwide Baptist Church is being sustained by the hand of the living God. May we never forget that. He does not need our temples. He does not need our hands. He's only chosen that for the sake of His glory and by His grace. He is in need of nothing. And He alone sustains His church. So it's true for us. And He will present us faultless. I love what Philippians 1 says. Paul thanks God for the church there. And prays for them. 
because of their partnership in the gospel from the first day. And in that partnership, he says this, verse 6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Jude says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Ephesians talks about Jesus presenting the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she may be holy and without blemish. Southwide Baptist Church has a lot of blemishes. A lot of wrinkles. (laughs) And that's not an old joke. We do. That's okay. Because God is changing us. And one day He will take the whole church. Not just us. But a multitude of every tribe, tongue, and nation. We were talking about this just this past week. Can you imagine the billions of believers that will be standing before the throne? And the whole body will be presented to Jesus faultless. Perfect. Now you take just those four things and consider them honestly. About one another. Until gratitude rises up in your heart. And suddenly you'll find. That the reasons you have to fight and complain and be offended. Suddenly. Fade. Then you add the many other things. That we have to be grateful for. Hundreds of other texts. And perhaps the division will all but disappear. So, what are you grateful for? To God. For one another. Think now about the person that you are at greatest odds with within this body. What are you grateful to God and them for? What good things has God done in them? How has God blessed you through their life, encouraged you, challenged you, helped you? How do you see the grace of God at work in them? The gifting of God in them? How has God confirmed the gospel in their testimony? Do you even know their testimony? What are the ways that God has proven faithful to them? Perhaps these are the questions we need to ask. With every head bowed and every eye closed. This point in our service is a time of invitation. It just simply means that we respond to God and His Word. Perhaps you need to come to this altar and the response this morning is to spend some time in prayer Perhaps even repenting of some things that kept you from considering those things. Your own unforgiveness or bitterness or whatever the case is. So in just a few moments, I want to encourage you to come and lay that down before the Lord. This altar will be open. You can spend some time here in prayer. 
asking the Lord to change your heart. And then when you get up from there, you need to go to that person. You need to ask them, tell me what Jesus is doing in your life. And see what God does through gratitude. Maybe you're here this morning and you're divided from the church because you do not yet know Jesus. You cannot look at the gospel this morning with gratitude and say, I'm thankful God saved me because you do not yet know Christ. You're not in Christ. Can I tell you that this morning the greatest news in all the world is that Jesus saves And he takes people who think they're on a road of pleasure and are only on a road to destruction and he redeems their life and restores their soul because of what he did on the cross for you. And today that blood is sufficient to cleanse you from your sin and to restore your life if you'll turn to him. It's all that is required of you. Just turn to Christ. This morning he'll save you. So in just a few moments when we stand, I want to encourage you, if that's you, to step out of the place where you'll be standing Come down this altar. Pastor, today, I want to be saved. And I'll help you. I'll point you to Jesus. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, as Dylan begins to lead us, I'm going to pray. Would you stand with me? This invitation will begin. Lord Jesus, would you have your way in this place? May we commit to you today to be grateful for those around us. And may that gratitude create a unity in us that is only done by your spirit. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The altar is open. You come this morning. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.